0: It was a cautionary tale that I wanted to tell, and I wanted to focus tightly on the people who fight in that battle, not the policymakers who move the pieces. Right, because wars aren't fought by the policymakers; they're fought by the uh, you know the desperate and disillusioned, mostly. <laughs> Okay, before
1: I introduce you all to who Zach Topping is, before you hear from him and his voice and so many new things for the Ivory Tower Boiler Room here, this is the first time I interview a dystopian writer, a war novelist, a military veteran. So there's so much that I cover with Zach. I want to let you all know, I am going to leave you on the edge of your seats at the end of this episode. So you have been warned that... There is a bonus episode only available to the ITBR Cafe, that's the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe Patreon members. And I say to Zach innocently, oh, do you have another 10 minutes? Well, those 10 minutes actually turn into 44 minutes. So there is another entire episode available to you all. So if you want to listen to this episode first on the podcast and then go over to our Patreon, feel free to do that. Or pause right now and just head to our Patreon because the full video interview is up there, the whole hour and 40 minutes. So patreon.com slash Room. How much do you have to pay? You're probably wondering. Okay, well, it's like you're paying me for a coffee. So thank you. It is $5. I appreciate it. I appreciate you all sending money towards my coffee fund. And I'm joking, but- You know, I need a lot of caffeine when I'm editing these podcasts, but you also are contributing to events that we do here. And speaking of events, we have a real housewives trivia event on February 9th at 7 PM in Port Jefferson, Long Island at Barito, which is an authentic Mexican restaurant. Tickets are $20 DM at ivory tower, boiler room on Instagram to reserve your spot. So yeah. Can't wait to see some of you there. And All of the Patreon money, it goes to just allowing us to continue this vision here of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room to have these public humanities discussions. And yeah, I always appreciate a coffee or two. Uh, Thank you all. And without further ado, here is Zach Topping. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. I am really I was going to say happy. I am happy to have this guest on today, but we're going to talk about all things dystopian fiction meets uh, war novels. He's class classified as a near dystopian, so we'll get into that. But I want to introduce who I'm with, which is Zach Topping. I didn't even ask if that's how he pronounces his last name, but I'm assuming just phonetically uh, a nice a topping on this interview. So Zach grew up, and I already joked with him about this because I find it so funny being on Long Island interviewing him, Uh, grew up in Eastern Connecticut, where contrary to popular belief, it's not all trust funds and yacht clubs. Uh, He spent his formative years on the move um, and discovered a passion for writing early in life. He is a veteran of the United States Army and has served two tours in Iraq and he currently lives with his wife in a quiet farm town in Connecticut where he works as a career firefighter. So, such an interesting bio. First, I you know wanna thank Zach for your service. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. And yeah, welcome. I mean- Thank you. This is gonna yeah, be such- Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled of to course. be here. Yeah, I mean, I have no idea where we might go with our talking points which we have, but I know there's going to be a lot that Zach is going to bring up that I'm not ready for, which I'm (laughs) happy about. But right away, I mean, um, where did this inspiration for you to actually write a fictional novel um, all about dystopia war? I'm assuming this took a little while to formulate in your mind.
0: Yeah, it did. uh, Well, when I first started writing, I wrote a lot of um, I knew I was going to write sci-fi or fantasy somewhere in the genre fiction realm because that's kind of where I've always been drawn to. So my earliest introductions to that was like Michael Crichton and you know J.R.R. Tolkien and G- George R.R. Martin, things like that, Richard Morgan. And uh, I wrote a lot of that like fantasy and much more sci-fi type stories to start when I was kind of learning how to write and getting, you know, practicing, just doing it for fun. Um, and the idea for Wake of War actually came about when I was brainstorming the world building for another story. So I was doing a little bit of back building and thinking about like, well, how did the world get this way or get that way? And then it, it just clicked. I was like, wait a minute, that's a whole story in itself. And it, it's almost like it was perfect. Like I, that was a story I was meant to write having served in the military and spent some time overseas. I figured that that in itself would lend a bit of authenticity to the story and as soon as i had that idea it just it was like from concept to outline to finish first draft was about nine months so it actually went pretty quick quick pretty quick um it was i wrote that all happened in 2017 so and the book just came out this year 2022 and you know being a near future military dystopian you know story about a second american civil war it's just pure uh, terrible coincidence that it became so timely and mm-hmm. and almost prescient um it wasn't meant to be that way and it wasn't meant to to come out as sort of like capitalizing on the turmoil that we're suffering right now but it was it was a cautionary tale that i wanted to tell and i wanted to focus tightly on the people who fight in that battle not the policymakers who move the pieces right because wars aren't fought by the policy they're fought by the uh you know the desperate and disillusioned mostly uh, so that's why the book is very grounded on the characters viewpoints there and sort of just kind of you know it all just kind of came out
1: yeah yeah i mean no thanks for laying it out because especially what you're saying about that disillusionment um, that happens in war I mean again this is just me speculating about what I've seen in or even heard I like Paul Rykoff a lot I don't know if you know who that is but he has this podcast that is really interesting about like the middle ground or I don't think that's what it's he always says look out for the helpers and like he served Mm. in the military and um, like he always says that there's those in policy and those in the government, there's a lot of skepticism from those who serve in the military about how these chess pieces are moving Mm -hmm. that, you know, something even about uh, your novel and you having served, do you feel like, politics gets placed on you, like where you have to choose a side of you're either on this side of a political party or that side. Because I feel like if you serve in the military, sometimes you can be like torn into like, okay, well, who do you su- like, which political party are you more aligned with? And like, do you ever talk about that in the military?
0: Uh, it, That's a really interesting question. Because one of the things I want to focus on the book, I, I think I, I tried a little bit was, um, I, I I couldn't tell you what it's like now, what the climate's like now. You know, I I was I left the military in two thousand and seven, so like a gazillion years ago, and but when I, I when I was in, I w- I joined in two thousand two, so that was you know the George Bush era and, uh, you know the invasion of of Iraq and Afghanistan. There was obviously a lot of contention as to. You know what we're doing there or at least you know in Iraq um, I think on the periphery we were vaguely aware that because I went to Iraq twice and we're which you know you know post 9-11 brought us to Afghanistan and then while we were all in the fervor and, and excited about war and waving the flags we somehow ended up in Iraq we we're all aware that that was sort of like wait what are we doing here why are we doing this this isn't this doesn't make sense But you know what? When you're there and you're in the trenches and you wake up in the morning, the only thing that matters is getting through the day and into the next day, protecting yourself and the men and women next to you. So politics wasn't really a talk. And if it was, it was just a dismissive, you know, comment or something like, yeah, move on. Yeah, it's for for the thinkers. We're here doing stuff. You know, it's not time for for that right now.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Andrew. So I interrupt this podcast interview because when I'm not podcasting, I'm usually writing my queer scholarship, or I'm teaching in a classroom, or I'm just doing other queer. Male scholarship activities. So I want to talk about a company that I truly love and that I've used in my own classroom. It's Broadview Press, which is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. And I'm really excited because they are offering an exclusive 20% off of all of their books if you use the code ivory tower so that includes new um literary anthologies classic literature books anything on their website and just to give you a taste every season here on the podcast i always interview a broadview press author so In the fall, it was Ann Stevens who wrote the book Literary Theory and Criticism. And we actually play a Wizard of Oz game with her at the end of the episode where I ask her to go through all of the different literary theories from psychoanalytic Freudian theory to Marxist theory to feminist to queer theory um, and ask her how she would approach the Wizard of Oz with that specific literary lens. And she does it. So thanks to Anne. But her book, Literary Theory and Criticism, is so intriguing for either your students you're teaching literary theory to, or if you're just a lover of literature and you want to learn more about literary theories and how to apply them to your own reading, your even love of film and television. It's such a great text. And also coming up in the winter season, we are going to have Jeffrey Weinstock, who wrote the book Pop Culture for Beginners, which actually is the first book ever that Broadview published that gives you a language around how to analyze pop culture. And for everyone here, you know that I love my Real Housewives and my reality TV. Um, So again, Broadview Press, they're giving you 20% off Site wide with the code Ivory Tower. So please head over to Broadview Press. Uh, you're not going to be disappointed. They offer everything for either the professor in your life, the student in your life, or that literary enthusiast. Okay, enjoy your reading, everyone.
0: Because what good is dwelling on what? What does it matter if I believe in what we're doing? I I raised my right hand and I'll have to follow the orders. Now I'm there. So uh, it was very interesting. I I can't imagine what it'd be like now. Um, I'm sure, I don't know. I don't know. I'd just be guessing because I don't know anybody who's in the army or, you know, in the military right now. Uh, But it seems that politics and, and the things that were used to be kind of taboo to talk about in public spaces are much more commonplace now. Uh, Even, even if it causes tension, you know, in, in division. So I I don't know, I don't know what it's like now, but that's what it was back then. And I tried to get that across in the book with the characters who are aware, you know, that Mm -hmm. there are politics in place that presented the situation that made the situation they're in. But as far as. There's a lot of
1: ethical dilemmas that, Mm. you know, Zach deals with in, I feel your novel just does such a great job of well I should spell it out for the audience which is there's these two sides of the narrative like and I think that's so masterful that you have um, Trent on one side fighting and it's all domestic war right Mm -hmm. so you have a United States ish. It feels like the United States. I mean, it feels more like the United States, in my opinion, than the Handmaid's Tale feels. Um, that where everything is kind of completely, um, Gilead Further is now right? just serving as, yeah, this moniker mm-hmm. that everything is basically the safe haven is Canada. Um, but like we're thrown into Salt Lake City or like youth, which is very interesting. Um, and right? The leader of the rebellion. Um, well, I don't know. Is he part of the rebellion or is he actually the dictator who overthrew the current well, he, US government?
0: So the the rebel faction in the book is called the Revolutionist Front. And it's one of several that are sprouting up across the country um, and part of the world building figuring, you know, like the, the plotting I did and trying to figure out how logistically a second American civil war would, would happen without like going into the details. Cause the book isn't a step-by-step, you know, anarchist daydream. It's very mm-hmm. focused on the people. Um, but it wouldn't, it's not as simple as, I mean, not that this, the, the original, the first civil war was simple, but there was the Mason Dixon line. There was a North versus South. Now, like everything's so spread out and so interconnected. You got family on different sides of the country in different places. It would sort of just fester everywhere. So there's different rebel factions kind of popping up all over and they just happen to be the ones that take place in the, in, you know, Nevada and salt Lake area and occupy the mountains around the salt Lake Valley. Um, but yeah, he, uh, if you're referring to the character, Joseph Joseph Graham, Graham. yeah, yeah. He's, he is, um, the charismatic and as, as I think they describe in the book, the charismatic and psychotic cult leader of this rebel faction. And he is very good at, um, getting people to believe what he wants them to believe in order to do things he wants them to do, you know?
1: So. Yeah. Well, and I think, like you said, it wasn't planned that your book was came out after January 6th. And yeah, a lot of things that have happened, um, you know, including a mass epidemic of school shootings. And I mean, a lot is happening yeah. in the country. Yeah. Um, But I think it's so intriguing that, like, you really have us think in this novel, which is why I really, when I started to read the synopsis and then I started to dive into your novel, I was surprised with, like you're talking about, just these factions of revolutionary moments and movements that it's, there isn't a huge consensus. Like, you could be in one community Hmm. and we're seeing this now in real life, which is, um, a standoff, like hopefully not to what happens in this dystopian world, but just standoffs of ideas, like just because one might be falling for, say, a cult thinking, you're going to have others who counter that. So and that's in one town. Like, I Mm -hmm. don't think that one we're not in a society right now where one town believes in the same political party thinking. And, yeah, it makes for a really interesting, um, like you said, you thought about the second American Civil War, which, I mean, was that really just tapped into, um, well, how much of that was involved with you serving and how much of that is just you just being a political almost analyst or thinking about what was going on in society? I mean, maybe you can't split them, but
0: you know, I, 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 did, I, yeah, I was very much more um, me having served and trying to explore some of those ideas and things. And uh, I, I can, I'm not very, I'm not a political junkie. I consider myself an average guy of average intelligence with like an average understanding of what's going on around me. I do my best to keep up, but it's just, it's a whirlwind sometimes. So, um. I remember watching, there's a documentary on Netflix called Winter on Fire, and it came out, I don't know, 2016, 2017, and it was about the riots in Ukraine in twenty end of 2013 into 2014, when they were originally trying to, the country was about, on the eve of signing an agreement to join the European Union, the president met with... Putin behind closed doors and backed out of the deal and the protests in, in Maidan square, which turned into violent, uh, riots and, a, a you know, the Maidan revolution. And it's a brutal, heartbreaking film. It's incredibly, uh, important to watch. It's extremely, it, it's hard to watch now after we see what happened and where the eventuality was, you see these people struggling for, for independence or freedom for, to move forward in the world, to be in a, in a, a position of safety security. And I remember thinking, wow, man, thank God that's on the other side of the world. You know, that's it, it, imagine if that was here, like, you know, you see, you know, Ukraine or Syria, or, I mean, pick, throw a dart at the map. And, and there are places in the world where people have to really struggle every single day. And then you think here, like, oh, that can't happen or it shouldn't happen. And there are people who, misguided people who like who almost look forward to that because they don't truly understand what it would really mean if if conflict Mm -hmm. like that broke out here and and what we would be putting on the future our future you know children and friends and family and loved ones and I wanted to use you know some of my own experiences and observations and things that I learned about conflict and then put it in a in a frighteningly plausible and close setting to really do the themes justice you know and i and i think that was kind of the point uh the politics were just there were just enough politics to make it a believable scenario because in 2017 i remember the idea of a second american civil war seemed far-fetched i I was like i don't know how anyone's going to buy into this because there's there's you know bills and statutes and policies in place to prevent the president from activating active duty military on u.s soil and blah, blah blah and now i mean you turn on the news and we hear the term civil war like on a daily basis, it's insane. And, um, you know, maybe yeah, it's, I mean, I hear it, it at rally.
1: That. I've, I've heard it at, I don't never, I don't like to say the name, but that's my own thing. Um, just cause I feel like if I invoke the name, there's going to be both sides yes. reacting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we all know when I say rally, it like takes a new mm-hmm. ad- term now, but, there'll be those interviewed and I'll catch an interview just on the news once in a while. And the sec, like the civil war is invoked all the time by them. Like, Oh, we're they're like, do you think you're, we're headed to another civil war and they'll say just straight faced. Oh yes, it's happening. And you're right. A few years ago, that was, Hmm. people thought, Oh, that could never happen. Like, or even what does that mean? Um, Hmm. But I still and I still think um, what gives me comfort is when I read your novel, it still is escapist, which is a good sign in a sense of, okay. well, there are elements here that um, make it this dystopic future or not even future, but this dystopic war element that we're not seeing, uh, thankfully, on American soil. But something you brought up is I really feel that the theme of empathy is something that I always wrestle with when it comes to even a war film or a war novel. Like um, I'm reluctant to watch war films usually because I'm concerned about just like, how is the body going to be displayed? Like how much gore, like what kind of tale is going to be told? Um mm. And that's why I really like the way where you go in your novel, because I think that imaginative power is different than what happens in a film. So, like, I was just curious, do you, you know, do you yourself watch, quote unquote, war films, which I'm not sure how to define that. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I do. And there are, you know, there's escapist, you know, action movie fun. Right. You got your typical thrillers and, Mm -hmm. you know. And then you've got things that take a little bit more serious approach or look at things, you know, they're telling a different story. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan believe it or not, I'm a big fan of, of reading traditional military thrillers, you know, uh, like Mark Greaney's gray man series and, and, you know, Greg Hurwitz, uh, orphan X, you know, the lone wolf, you know, security operator running around doing things. Uh, but I, I, I know what those are when I'm reading them, uh, or, you know, that movie just came out the gray man. And then there's, um, a film that I I always recommend every time I get to talk about it is Waltz with Bashir. It's, it's a, it's about the war in Lebanon in the eighties. And, and the director was the, he's a documentary filmmaker. He was, he served in that conflict and the film is about him trying to find out why he has gaps in his memory about it. And it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. It's a totally different story than that escapist stuff. Um.
2: Hi, it's Mary from True Crime and Academia. You've heard me talk about my amazing friend Mandy before. She makes the best crochet, Cree cut and custom home decor for reasonable prices. If you're looking for a one of a kind gift or some new decor to add some new life into your home, look no further. Mandy has got you. I have quite a few items from her ranging from a crocheted headband to Halloween decor items to my amazing and adorable Coraline ornament. Um, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm like obsessed with Coraline and I just love how Mandy makes it. She's also made me a Coraline doll that sits next to all of my true crime books. To order, Just slide in her DMs on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E, Made It, on Facebook and Instagram. Once again, go to Mandy Made It on Facebook and Instagram. Send her a DM and order today.
0: And for Wake of War, it just because of the nature of the book and what we're trying to say, it's a cautionary tale. You should, I, I, like you said, it's, it hasn't happened yet. So thank God, I hope it doesn't happen And the whole point of writing this story is so that we could look at it and go, if like, you know, you, you see someone at one of these rallies, Oh yeah, it's a, next civil war, bring it on. They're ready to go run out in the streets thinking they're going to play, you know, it's going to be like the walking dead and they can wear all their costumes. No, it's, 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 it's going to be horrible. It would be absolutely horrible. And hopefully, you know, we can use things like, like almost like the ghost of Christmas future, you know, look into the future. This, if we continue down this path, this is where we're going to go. Um, and that was what I was doing with wake of war. But I, you know, I, I do watch military films. Uh, I don't like, you know, I don't watch them exclusively. I don't sit there. And I usually with a hypercritical eye, you know, that's inaccurate. That's not accurate. If they glorify stuff for things that are too gratuitous then you kind of lose me. But, um, yeah. I don't, I don't really shy away from it either.
1: Yeah. Well, you'll have to recommend some, like you've recommended one already that I need to mm. look into. Cause I think when I think war films, I'm thinking more of those, like, um, I don't know. One has to come to my mind. The one that Harry Styles was in, I forget what that was called. Um, oh, I but know. I think it had like just come out maybe a year ago. Um, but it was a British army. Um, mm. I don't know if was it a World War One? I'm always thinking of like World War two World War one um, um
0: like those. Dunkirk or uh
1: oh there there it is
0: was it Dunkirk? Dunkirk was he in that one?
1: I think so, right? Was that like a year ago?
0: <laughs> time has, I, don't know. I I don't even know what day today is There's no I could tell you well, maybe it relative within the last couple of years that in uh yeah. there's um all quiet on the Western front. Is okay. out on Netflix now too. I haven't seen that yet, but you know, like I, I would be happy. I, I do want to watch that, but we'll be watching it. Of course, it's not like, oh, let's you know, settle in and watch a fun movie tonight. You have to kind of know what you're getting into, know what to take from it. You know, there's something being said, and I think if you're aware that a film is trying to say something, we're trying to explore something, or maybe use that medium, be it a book or a film, to explore a side of the world that maybe some people never get to explore or that some people are curious about. Uh, you know that may be uh, just another way to to do that to explore that facet of, of the human experience
1: yeah and hopefully it doesn't seem like i'm poo-pooing a <laughs> yeah, gore film is such a vast genre no yeah, um, yeah,
2: yeah
1: right like there's like the more realist there's the psychological like you mm-hmm. said there's the thriller ones um and something though that i do because there's a lot of films that have of course like war themes within the film. And what I desperately wanted to ask you, Zach is like, I need to just pick Zach's mind of what it means about brotherhood. And I mean, there are women in the military, of course, Um, but right. That in my mind is something that the American public, there is, it's a word that's invoked a lot in war Mm -hmm. is like your comrade, your brother. um, And it does pop out to me when I read your novel is that idea of, like you said, getting through the day. And like, how are you going to get through the day with your troop? Like you turn to them as family. They become a family unit. Mm -hmm. And, right, you really don't want to have contention, contentious fights with the troop, I'm assuming. Like you don't want... Like, even though you might disagree, say, on a topic, you don't want at the end of the day for that to create this psychological wedge between you where now you can't effectively, you know, do the task and turn your back on the person. So, like, you know, how important is that of just brotherhood, comradeship? Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's super important. I mean, and I even, I I see that in, you know, the fire service, I'm a career firefighter now, and we work in these tight knit groups of people with specialized skills that go into highly dangerous situations. And, you know, not to make it sound like I'm, you know, some sort of, you know, doing anything crazy, but you know, you have to rely on the people next to you and to, to do what they need to do. And you need to be, they need to be able to rely on you and that, that in itself breeds a sort of trust that's different than you get, uh, elsewhere, you know, um, there'll still be fights. there'll still be contention, you know, families fight, siblings fight, you know, parents and children fight, spouses fight. Uh, but that's just part of the natural process of forming relationships. It's like, like you said, the important thing is that, you know, you can be in the middle of an argument but when it's time to go do your job, you do your job and sometimes you know maybe in the moment you don't realize it until years later you're still you know you still think about these people you make these long lasting friendships um you know there's something to be said about being stranded in a you know dangerous tumultuous violent environment with a selected group of people who become your family because your family's are you know on the other side of the world or another side of the country or somewhere else way beyond where you can reach them and so there's no one they can't reach you so you have to kind of depend on each other uh it doesn't always it doesn't always happen that way it doesn't mean that just because you serve in some group like that that you're going to find that but uh it's a it's definitely a common uh, common thing and i'm sure there are far more uh intelligent studies on it than than my incoherent ramblings here but there's you know the the forming the bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood in that in the the crucible of war is is something that's been you know it's gone on for, for generations as long as human beings have been able to walk upright and pick up sticks it's it's been a thing you know
1: well i was gonna say like something i'm noticing though is like i actually will see more presence of military on tiktok like this gen z or even like i guess my millennial <laughs> uh my millennial family like is social media now actually i guess it depends right on your branch but is it allowed to actually now is it easier to connect now with people than like say when you were serving without that social media presence
0: uh yeah well it's funny facebook When I was in the military during the time I was in the military, Facebook was only available to college students. It wasn't for the general public. Mm -hmm. And it was only on my second deployment where they opened it up to everybody, you know, so anybody could join. And that's when I joined. And once you did that, it became incredibly easier to be in touch with people, you know, as long as you can get to the Internet Cafe and have Internet access. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not a huge fan of social media. I don't have TikTok. I have Twitter for now um, you know, Instagram and, and I'm there, but I lurk more cause I'm just so uncomfortable. And maybe that's just me being an old man, <laughs> like yelling at clouds and telling people to get off my lawn, kids in their social media. But, um, I mean, it, it's got its its benefits for sure. And it's definitely easier to keep up with people. I mean, I, I keep up with my, my family through social media more than calls and text. I mean, the text message if anything, you know, like you see your phone ring now and you're like, the hell are you doing? Nobody calls. You wait until it goes to voicemail and text them. What do you want? You know. But um, know, I'm
1: so happy. I have a Google phone that screens my calls. They're like, oh, nice. they're like where it'll ask like 20 questions. I'm like, okay, now I'll accept the call. Um, <laughs> nice. But uh, well, so I guess basically my question is, it's not necessarily that they would stop you from posting on TikTok when you're deployed, or again oh. it's on what you're doing, uh, like how man. I guess like how well i guess the mission right like you're not yeah. you're not going to be having a TikTok tock when you're actively doing
0: yeah you like, don't even again, have your
1: phone probably
0: yeah are you oh man that's I'm so outdated uh yeah it was not a thing when i was during my time in the military we tick tock and twitter and instagram did not exist facebook was just in its infant stages uh, I have, I really don't know how they handle that now, but I mean, operational security or OPSEC is a huge, uh, priority. You spend weeks before you deploy going over that kind of stuff. How to, what to say, what if a reporter comes up to you? What if someone asks you, what are you doing? What if your family asks you what you're doing? What if they, you know, when you're writing, cause we wrote hand, I wrote handwritten letters in my first deployment. That's wow. how, how long ago that one was. Um, but, uh, I don't know. You're right though. You do, you do see videos of, you know, people doing funny things and, uh, you know, overseas or, you know, behind some HESCO barriers or something. They're clearly not in the United States. I don't know. There must be some sort of vetting process, but it's important to have those vents too. You have to be able to have fun. If it's all seriousness all the time, then it would go nuts. Um, I, yeah, I, I really don't know how they do that now. That's a great question that I actually sh- I it, find somebody who serves well, who's been in recently and ask him. Yeah. Everyone
1: who listens to this, if there's anyone who knows that answer, you know, put yeah. it in the comments section or, uh, yeah, really, yeah, put it in the comment section. That's what I love about there's actually an audience here, Zach, um, All that right. we're not seeing, but <laughs> they're out there now. Um, well,
0: thanks for coming. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. I'll, try, I'll try, um, try to be entertaining.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, I guess now the lighthearted, you know, let's talk about sex. <laughs> I tried to think of a good pivot there. Um, uh, but no, something, <laughs> something that though is like a scene in the novel that really stands out to me is um, like just, that I think that classic image of the USO shows or even, um, mm. but it's kind of done in a different way, like via a video streaming service. It's a little updated, um, but there's even, someone steals a picture of someone of a man's wife. And like the whole implication is that he, like, they're all now going to like try to privately, you know, jerk off to it. And I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess one image is really providing uh, the sexual fantasy for this moment, but it really does make you think like, you're so good at pulling back those layers of like the stakes of, Oh, okay. As if they found the playboy magazine and you know, as much as I said to Zach, as much as he's comfortable to talk about this, um, but it is an element that I know so many um, who think about the military, they think about, okay, you're usually without your spouse or your partner, or even if you're single, you're without dating opportunities, I guess, unless your partner is enlisted with you, which I guess it happens. happens, I'm sure. It happen, and that yeah. could be interesting. Um, and, you know, maybe you also meet people while you're in the military. I'm not sure how the dating goes. I know that happens. Um, but yeah, like how is just the topic of sensuality or sex, not even sex, but just like romance and desire. It must be such an interesting blend that happens when you're in the military of connection like yeah. missing that connection too.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have a whole wide, you have a wide range of people coming into the military and everybody has different you know, perspectives on what, you know, their life values, their morals, their goals, their, you know, what they think they want to do or can't do. Um, and you've got a lot of different age groups, but when you think about the majority of people who enlist in the military, they're young, 18 year old kids and they're whisked away from home for the first time, and they're taught to be badasses, and they're you know they're they're you know whatever all the the psychological conditioning that goes into to boot camp or basic training to get you ready to to get used to doing things you don't want to do, um, embracing an aggressive uh, you know quality of character, I guess, and and doing things uh, in adverse conditions and. Then you give them rifles and you send them off and do things. So that's why every every military base has a town outside with strip clubs and tattoo parlors and sections of town that you get a pamphlet when you get to your duty station says don't go here. We've got you know people that watch these places and they'll know if you go there and you can't go there because then you know there's there are limits. But you know there's a wide range of uh, things that people do. You know and like you said, certainly people have met overseas or in the military people uh, have gotten deployed i know I go too into it my my second deployment there was a uh, we we were originally in our we were an artillery unit which is a combat arms unit and in the early 2000s combat arms is male only for our second deployment we reclassed as a convoy security unit and integrated female soldiers in with a predominantly male unit and we spent a significant amount of time you know, going through classes on how to behave and how to do this and how to, you know, how what you can say, what you can't say, how to interact, how to respect, you know, everybody. Um, and, uh, and some people ended up in relationships or, you know, and some people ended up in relationships where they got married and others were uh, more frivolous, to put it. Um, And I, I think, you know, to bring it back to, to wake of war, what I was kind of trying to do you know, for anyone who hasn't read the book but hopes to i'll i'll do my best to speak vaguely and not ruin anything but there are characters that are very clearly inverse of each other from mm-hmm. the most basic details to the more more deeper meaning and you know sex can be a very personal and intimate uh, act that strengthens mental emotional physical bonds w- between two people or it can be incredibly impersonal and it can just it can serve to meet a a temporary need in a moment that may or may not have detrimental effects you know to the cycle psyche and you know mental emotional well-being of a person um, and it's all about the approach it's all about the context there's nothing wrong with you know, whichever path one chooses, everybody's got their paths and it's, you know, this, you know, you don't have to just, uh, you know, like waiting till, till marriage to, to lose your virginity or to, you know, like I'm only, you know, only wait till the third date. Maybe some people don't want to wait for a third date. Nothing wrong with that. But uh in the context of the story, I tried to be very, very opposite. And I think you, you can, uh, they, certain actions highlight certain people's uh perspective and trajectory i guess you know kind of look at it from that angle but
1: yeah Yeah. well i was gonna say on this podcast this is tame i mean i talked about my like clothing optional fire island experience and like steamy gay experiences (laughs) of um not just myself i wasn't i talked a little about it but i also have a little boundary when it comes to (laughs) the bedroom and those discussions. But yeah, we talk about like porn in the media here. So everything you're saying, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, there's gonna be no offense. I think it's fascinating though, like why I know why I am so um, enamored and in awe of what you wrote, Zach, is because if you test me with writing, like, okay, Andrew, you're going to be writing a military fictional account it would instantly become like this homoerotic it would not be considered uh like real like a dystopian um scenario it would be classified more in just this very romance um something that uh, porn studios would have a field day with uh, and that's not exactly uh you know what happens in the military i know um but
0: who knows yeah oh, who... well i mean you will one you got to write whatever write the book you want to read write the book you want to read book you want to read so okay so fine. zach's yeah. giving
1: me permission for this oh yeah right, homoerotic you, yeah. military anybody novel.
0: can write whatever they want if it's in your heart well, and, and you i'm sure it exists it.
1: i know oh, it yeah, exists yeah. um yeah. but but you're telling me that there isn't this like homoerotic uh like well Like, I'm sure it happens in the military, but it's not this outwardly display. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? If so, the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. Have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie, or what have you. In addition to the articles published in the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog as well as personal essays on its popular Here's My Story section. This allows people like you to share their own experiences with our readers. To learn more about submitting either to the print or the online edition of the GNLR, visit glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot org. And scroll down to the bottom of the page to find a link to their writer's guidelines. If you have any questions, email stephen.hemrick at glreview.org. The GNLR can't wait to see what you have to say. And remember that they're offering an exclusive code with the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. So when you subscribe to the magazine, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. So that's seven issues instead of six. Again, just visit the and click subscribe and enter the promo code ITBR for your free issue.
0: So I'm, I'm, I I'm mean, I guess I'm speaking in vague terms because I'm just one small, small, tiny cog in a giant machine. I, I can't speak for everybody and I can't speak for even the majority of, of people. Um, I do know this, that a, a, most of the lower enlisted or the, the people who join the disillusioned and desperate youths who join the military. You know, they're, they're young, hormone-fueled, you know, creatures who are out in the world on their own so what happened i'm sure things happen and people you know people meet people in these these situations exist i I have no doubt um but i i can't say yes this is how it is in the military this is how it is there that you you were also
1: there i'm sorry to jump but you're also there i think it's important to note when don't ask don't tell was still in place
0: i think it it was it was uh i think it was not in place but it was still like the stigma of of you know being gay in the military was kind of like people still you know it was like uh you know we're not allowed to don't ask don't tell but it was still like people had not gotten used to it or you know i and i don't know if it's gotten better since you will to hope in you know 20 years but um
1: yeah well because like yeah, now yeah. i know like, that's where social media, I think, has its upside, like where there'll be these open accounts of um, a gay military member who said he met his husband in the military. Mm-hmm. Like these things, they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, like you're saying, there's all these arrangements that happen. Right. Um, but um, I think that, you know, it does. This actually does lead to my next question, which is. um like we've talked about brotherhood, we've talked about, okay, what do you do with these hormone induced, <laughs> raging youngsters, but also, isn't it true that the majority of those who enter the military, like, contrary, maybe to a certain, um, you know, population in America's thinking that it's actually very multiracial, I thought, like, it's, those from many different races, different social classes, mostly though lower middle to like working class. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some even go in for health insurance, like for the health uh, insurance or for hoping that they get college funding for tuition. So, yeah, I think that's important if you could address that, Zach, about, you know, what was your experience with all those elements?
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, certainly not everybody who joins the military is desperate or destitute or in some bad way. A lot of people join um, because they knew from an early age that that's what they wanted to do with their life. Maybe their father or their mother or someone further down the line, you know, in their family was had served and they want to serve. Or maybe they just they truly feel a calling to, to serve the country. Um, but the military in general, its system, it's it's very, very good at reaching a specific, a specific audience. Um, yeah. You know, the recruiters have, you know, it's very intricate tools to get your attention. Now, when I was, when I was going into my senior year of high school, I had no intention whatsoever of joining the military. In fact, the thought of it made me sick. Like I was like, I can't imagine doing that waking up before the sun every day and, and just standing at attention and, you know, all the things that come with serving and, A friend of mine had enlisted. He joined the delayed entry program, which is a thing the military does. You can still be an active high school student and sign a a form saying, you know, a a delayed entry. I will join the the army once I graduate high school. I'll graduate high school and join the army. It's sort of like a a binding contract. So you can enlist before you graduate from high school. So you, I mean,
1: that's my my, um, cousin, um, not I told Zach I have two cousins. You know, I won't say their names just because I want to be Zach, Well, yeah, but I have yeah. two cousins who are uh special operations army rangers, and then one cousin who's much younger, second cousin, um who is doing exactly what you said. Actually, he was in the ROTC and it was um kind of part of this program where when he went to college, the agreement was that then he would enlist in the army. So I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what that's considered, but I don't think it's the delayed what you're, maybe it is like that. Yeah, I I don't know. It It was something with also getting tuition covered Mm -hmm. and it's a type of scholarship, but yeah, yeah, like you're saying, you can make the decision in high school um, to then go into the military while you're still in high school.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to cut off your
1: point.
0: Oh no, no, you're fine. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, th- my point is, there are they have a lot of incentives. There are a lot of incentives for anything, like you mentioned, you know, healthcare or citizenship, or you know, just you know, the amount of money you make. Yeah, uh, when you get deployed overseas, you get your your pay is tax free. So you don't get taxed on a year's yeah. worth of however much pay you get. Then you get hazard duty pay on top of that. Then if you're married, you get separation pay, which believe it or not is a huge motivator for young kids who are about to get deployed to go marry their high school girlfriend or marry the first person they can find, because then you get more money, which is the absolute worst reason to you know marry somebody, but it happens. Sure. And it's all based on an incentive to get people to, to come in and, and listen and Hear what they have to say. So yeah. Oh, um, and my friend had joined, and he would go. You know, I'd hang out with him after school. And he's like, "Oh, I got to stop by the recruiter's office real quick," and I would go with him just because I was hanging out with him. I had no desire to hear them, but you do that enough, the recruiter starts pouring honey in your ear. And if this was, you know, like I said, two thousand one, so nine eleven was it had just happened, and the recruiter had me convinced that the army was nothing but a Monday to Friday, nine to five. They're going to pay for your college. You get tons of money the odds of actually going overseas are super low, bro. You'll be fine. You, you know, you, you hang out at the motor pool all day and you hit the gym at night and then you go out to the clubs, dude, it's the best gig in the world. And I bought it hook, line and sinker because the, you know, they, they know what they're doing. And I mean, there was a trick. And I, I don't know if I'm going to blow up any recruiters are listening, uh, blow up their spot here, but I was sitting in the office one day and he was calling the recruiter uh, was calling, making cold calls to students' homes. He had like a list of local students from the school and the trick he said, the trick he does is he would call. And if a parent answered, you don't say, you know, hello, this is staff Sergeant so-and-so from the recruiter's office. May I speak to your son? And they say, Hey, is Billy home or whoever? And then they go, like, Oh yeah, hold on a second. And the parent just thinks it's, a oh, friend they from think it's and their friend. Yeah, and like, Oh, yeah. I don't know just,
1: who this person you know, is, but it must be my son's friend. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and they bypass the parents right to oh, them. So wow. there, there's all this, that's a, you know, a way to get these, you know, people who might not have other ideas or plans or or otherwise um desperate might be the wrong word but in need of some service or something in need of something that the military says well if you come join us and and you know sign away your rights for so there's this
1: reward incentive that really is going to stick out to you yeah um well like you're saying this whole monday through friday thinking that you're going to like have the training, then go out clubbing. I mean, <laughs> that already to me sounds far fetched. Um, but <laughs> I what but I do want to ask but. though, is you did then go like after your two deployments, then you went to get a creative writing degree. Is that what happened? Zach?
0: No, no, not at oh, all. No. Um, I actually don't, I don't have a creative writing degree. I have an associates in, in general studies from a local community college.
1: That's wonderful. Um, no, I mean, I, I think yeah, that's yeah. even more, I, um, um you know, kudos to you. And Thank you. so like having a debut novel out.
0: And yeah. That you I, well, you I've always liked writing in writing in English, where is it my strong suit, uh, math and and as absolutely not. Um I I wrote a lot when I was a kid. So I first started writing in elementary school. Like I said, I Jurassic Park was like the first book that blew my mind away because it came out the movie came out in ninety-three. I was I think like 10 years old, I was 10 years old. Let's see what I mean? Math. I'm, I had to think about that for a sec. Um, but it was just, it, I was just enamored by this idea of taking the speculative scenario that in just imagining what happens, what happens. And and I spent a lot of years writing just because I wanted to, then adulthood gets in the way sort of, you know, the thing, frivolous things like using your imagination, writing and playing an instrument or something, things that don't directly, you know, help you, towards a career kind of get put on the back burner. Um, but I'd still over the years, I would always get this urge to write something. whether it was a page or an idea or a character sketch or something, and the drive was always there. Then years, some years later, after I got out of the army, I bounced around a little bit and I spent a good number of years kind of making a lot of bad decisions and not doing anything to make my life any easier. Um, and it took me a while to get my head on, right. And, then I met my wife and, you know, we moved in together and my life sort of started to come back on track and I found peace. And and that's when I started going to school. And as when I went to school, I thought I was going to be like, uh, Billy Madison, you know, that, that, you know, I, I don't know, I was 25 or something when I went to class, but about, I thought I was going to be old or 26, 27. Um, but I, you know, when I have to start writing papers and things, I realized I, you know, I still had an ability to do that or I felt comfortable doing that and I could get better at it. And so I started to write creatively again, just for the fun of it. And I got to a point where I thought maybe I'll just write something, print it off at Staples, put it on the shelf. and that will be fun. Um, in, in pursuing uh, skill in the craft, I started, that's when I started, uh, you know, following authors and, and writers on social media and listening to interviews and going to conventions and learning that it was a skill you can develop. And somewhere along the way, I don't really, I wish I could pinpoint the exact moment, but I don't know if it was an exact moment, uh, But I I realized, well, why don't I see if I could try to write something that someone will notice someone, you know, instead of just print it off at Staples, put on the shelf and grandkids read it one day and go, oh, yeah, that's cool maybe, maybe this could happen. So I started doing that. And lo and behold, you know, the long, long journey here, here we are, Wake of war is finally out. And wow. it still blows my mind when I walk into like Barnes and Noble or books a million, or and you, see in, it. you know, bookstore yeah. on the, and there's, yeah, it's, it's wild. Mm-hmm. It's wild.
1: Yeah. Well, and I know there's this like really cute quaint bookstore in your town in Eastern Connecticut that you post mm-hmm. like Instagram photos of, but I'm like, oh, look how it's just like adorable, almost barn house, ha- barn, um, farmhouse. Yeah. bookstore it looks like um but yeah, yeah now but... you live like in a farming kind of town very quiet um so you're living your northeast country mm. life um mm. but i think it's um so i actually started at a county college because i got a um full cool ride there from my high school like in new jersey we have a scholarship program that, like, if you place in such a percentage of your high school class, you can go to county college for free. So, like, I started there, then I went to my undergrad in North Jersey at a state school, and then went into my PhD. Um, but I always attribute my associate's degree time to meeting some of the most var- just varied people of all different backgrounds. Um, hmm. Or even when I went to state, my state public university in New Jersey. I met a lot of actually veterans um, who, you know, worked with, I forget if it's veteran affairs on campus, but the office mm-hmm. to like talk about what kind of courses they're going to be taking and like just the whole perspective of even an adult learner. I learned so much from, so like, I think it's important Zach, that you talk about, you know, how that kind of helped you, like you didn't need the associate's degree to learn to um, put out the writing, but it seems like it kind of helped you figure out the pathway of what you were going to write and like yeah. the craft of right. the genre, so to
0: For speak. Sure. Yeah, it was um, it was like an, an exercise in confidence, I guess, because mm. uh, I spent and this is a problem, something I've, I've done my whole life without realizing, but I never thought that. Like I'm a, I'm a, I still can't believe I'm a career firefighter. Like, you know, something like that is the kind of thing that when I was younger, there were people like, Oh, you know what, this job would be great for you or this kind of thing. I think you should look into that, you know, like, but I always thought that was for the other kids. That was for other people from stable households with the right upbringing and someone like me, who's, you know, just barely getting by. That's not a future for me. Even going to college wasn't a thing for me. I didn't take my SATs. I didn't work hard in school. And then the end of senior year started coming around and I was like, oh shit, now I'm going to be, what am I going to do? Um, and it took me a while to realize that that's not, you know, you, you'll manifest what you believe, right? If you believe you can't do it then you know, what's that lame quote, right? If you think you can or you can't, you're right. And it's kind of, it's true. It's lame, but it's true. Like, you know, if you don't try and you don't put the effort in, you have to believe in yourself. And you have to believe that it's something you can do and, and give it your best shot. And it certainly was, um, you know, I was, it at least set my mind frame right. The idea, you know, because I got out of the military and I was just kind of floating around just living. I had a job, not a career, I had a job. I made just enough money to barely pay all my bills every month. Um, you know, and there were always bills that would have to get way pushed to the next month, which would delay another one. Until another one. It was just barely getting by. But I had, you know, when I decided that things needed to change or I found a new headspace and and my outlook on life changed, um, you know, I started working towards something better. And I still to this day do that, you know, like I, I wrote Wake of War and my next book's in my editor. I'm trying to get better at writing and I'm writing a third book and I want to get better at that. And oh, that's you know, every exciting. day at work, yep. like, I, you know, I, I try to maybe I know how to do a thing, but how can I do it better? How can I stay sharp on it? how can I be? Just try to stay positive and always improve. You know, just keep the edge sharp. And, yeah, stay in
1: in, in this empowered space. Which yeah, you yeah, know, could be well, could be easier for some people than others, depending on their circumstances. Mm. But um, like something though, I did want to touch upon that you mentioned briefly, is um, well, first I just want to ask, do you think the Zach who entered the military, like right after high school? would be having the same kind of talk with me right now than the Zach who's now here, you know, years later and with all these different experiences you've had. Like, how different of a Zach? Not that you're different. (laughs) I I I mean, the same can be said of me, too, and my experiences. But do you feel like your mindset, it seems like there was a shift even though you were still – Really passionate about writing, like, and I'm sure you read a lot when you were in the military or deployed, mm-hmm. even with literature. Mm-hmm. Um, see, that would be me. I would be like the bookish person in the military. Oh, I was, yeah, just, I was. I would sit in, in my the bunk. corner.
0: was exactly yeah. what I did. I'd sit in the bunk, like, hey, you want to go check out, you know, the the bay, or do something? No, and I would just lay in my cot and and read a book because that was. That was the time where the little portable DVD players and you have to get the bootleg DVD to watch a movie. But yeah, I, I loved I've always liked reading, whatever it was, I would read. Yep. Yeah. Um the Zach. It's funny because when I think about Zach for the myself at that age, I picture myself as I am now, right? Mm-hmm. Clearly, it's not true. I mean, I'm I'm creeping closer and closer to 40 years old these days, and and it's just some people, it, I guess it's a matter of perspective that Zach is not the Zach who I am now, but at the same time, the, who I am now is directly informed and inspired by the things I went through at that age. Right. And, and maybe I'll look back at that person and who he was and how he acted. It's like in a cringe at some of the things, but somehow it all ended up, it, it got me here. And I'm, you know, I, I don't know that I could or would change it. You know, I mean, who knows, you know, um, very different, obviously. And for for a number of reasons, I think besides just general age and maturity and life experience. But, uh, you know, like we were just talking about that to see things differently, to know that like, if you want to do something, you do it, you want to, you try to make it work, you know, just stay, like you said, that positive mind space or head space that, uh, that place of empowerment, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. There's a lot to. I'm no, sure no, we, we could spend days unpack unpacking their, psychologically. The, yeah, the I mean,
1: um, and do you have like ten more minutes? It's okay. If yeah, you're yeah, going absolutely. Inside. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Just because you know this is like a shout out to the audience, but um, oh great, yeah, yeah. Like I always hold like some as bonus material for our Patreon, which. You know patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room there's the promo for it but you know okay well that's good i want to just dig in because there's something else that happened so much in your novel that you even expressed about like coming the experience after like hmm. i mean in your case it's the experience after being deployed <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. This is Andrew Rimby. I really hope you follow us on social media because that's where you get to see all of the exciting video clips, teasers, and humorous moments. So follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room and on our Twitter at Ivory Boiler Room. I hope you all are following the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe and become a member for only $5. You get all of our interviews and episodes ad-free. You also get to watch the video interviews. You get to see my lovely face and the guest's lovely face, and you get access to all the bonus episodes. So Dr. Jake Newsom talking about the history of the pink triangle, Zach Topping talking about being an army vet and what that meant when he wrote a war novel, and a dystopia novel. You get to hear Gregory Maguire's breaking news about the Wicked movie musical, Jesse Green talking about Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, and what did Stephen Sondheim actually think about Rogers and Hammerstein? So head to patreon.com slash room. Please, please provide me an iced coffee. I would love it because I need to stay up to do all these edits. So yeah, see you all in the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe. And here is Mary DePippi from True Crime and Academia.
2: Hi, everyone. I am Mary DePippi. As Andrew said, I am the host of True Crime and Academia. True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 7.30. Now, to find all things True Crime and Academia, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime in Academia or on Twitter at TC and Academia because, well, they hate it when you have too many characters. Like I said, True Crime and Academia airs on Fridays at 730s. But if you are a subscriber, you get a bonus episode. That's right. A whole episode just to yourselves that no one else gets to hear. Like, I do a deep dive on the case of Jean-Benet Ramsey. I deep dive Casey Anthony. We talk about the history of the lobotomy. And most recently, we talked about the Night Stalker himself, Richard Ramirez. So if you want to access all of that extra wonderful content, go to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. And like Andrew said, if you could just please buy us a nice coffee, that would that would be great. That would be really, really
1: great. It would be great. We appreciate it. We also interact with all of you on Patreon. So ask us your insightful questions. We will answer them for you. And we want to thank our spring 23 interns, Andrea, Caitlin, Rosie, and Sheila. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see you all back again in the ivory tower boiler room. Happy winter, everyone.